Welcome to the Misfit Stars podcast. I'm Shannon Curtis. And I'm Jamie Hill. Hi, everyone. And hello, Shannon. Hello. We're doing a night pod. Night pod. Night pod. Night pod. We just made up that song. Uh Like, totally spur of the moment. What do you think? I think it was really great. (laughs) It's actually really great. We're doing this on Monday night instead of Tuesday. Uh, for the podcast that comes out Wednesday. It's all different. It's all new. It's very exciting. Hopefully, y'all can really feel that feeling of excitement in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, this really sounds like they recorded it at night. Wow. Wow, it sounds so nighttime vibes. Different energy at night. Yeah. Totally. Sure. Uh, What are we talking about in this episode? Later on in this episode, we are continuing our discussion on individualism. Because it keeps coming up everywhere. Everywhere. And indeed, this week we're going just simply to be pulling on a couple of related threads that we saw out in the wild. After last week's podcast, stuff we read that were like, oh, look who else is thinking about individualism. Yeah. It's pretty weird. Like, it's a thing, guys. It's a thing. I just like to think that you and I really have our finger on the pulse of the universe. (laughs) Well, don't we all? (laughs) You know what I mean? If we stop and listen enough, we do. Totally. Like, I think it's actually a thing that people are thinking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're going to keep talking about it, and that's going to be fun. Yes, it will. Uh, Misfit Stars, people, it's how you support the work that Shannon and I do. I don't want to lean on this a lot today. If you want to hear us talk all about it, go listen to last week's episode. We talked at length at the beginning of last week's episode. Suffice to say that you can go to misfitstars.com slash support and you can support our work. And frankly, uh, we could use it. This pandemic isn't going anywhere. Indeed, it's kind of coming back, uh-huh. uh, which is going to have ramifications for the work that we, in a continuing way, can't do. (laughs) Right. Um, Well, like the live shows, for instance. traveling around and doing music and doing shows, which is, you know, typically a lot of our income. Not so much. No. So we've reinvented stuff. And now the primary way that we get ongoing support for the work that we do is at misfitstars.com slash support. I very just simply want to say, if you feel supportive of our work, listener, please just go there and throw your lot in with ours. It would be so meaningful to us and it would be an actual tangible help. It's not like we have a trust fund and it's just like we're trying to get cool kid points. <laughs> this literally is how we remain living indoors. It's true. And it's not just up to like one or two people that are supporting us. It's not like it's not like we're... Uh, okay, you're going to have to help me out with this, like, with this uh, analogy. It's okay. not like we're... Who, who did the Medici family support? Who was that? Oh, man, was, was it, it like Raphael or I, was it like... Was it uh, Leonardo da Vinci? Could have been da Vinci. Maybe. So, so, let's so just, imagine we're, we're, we're a, a, a painter. Yeah, it's not like... An old painter. The Medici family, it's up to one person or one family to do this. We're asking lots of folks who find what we do valuable to help support it. Many like Medicis. Many, m- lots of Medicis. What'd you say? Many Medicis. Many Medicis. Many, many Medicis. How about that? It was many, many. Yes, I know. Medici's. But we need many. You kept saying midi Medici's. I'm, I, it's because I've stuttered. Midi is many, a musical no. instrument connection <laughs> protocol. Many, mini Medici's. Jeez. That's what we need. This is a clusterfuck. Say that five times fast. So what do you think, people, if we convince you to support us? Yeah. But here's my point. Like, we're talking about individualism versus collectivism. Yes. This is that 
in action. Like That's this true. is, it is not just up to one person to do this. It is, we're asking lots of folks, any, any of you hearing the sound of my voice right now that is a person who's like, yep, you know what? I do value the work that Jamie and Shannon do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, and I think it's time, it's high time I support it. Then you can go to misfitstars.com slash support and join the others, the collective effort that's helping this little ship stay afloat. Great job. Yeah, that's it. Thank you, people. So I said it was going to be short. Well, we lied. Well, you know what? It's your fault for trusting sorry. us. Sorry. Oh, it's my fault. Well, fair. I accept responsibility. Okay. So uh, do we have any announcements? Announcements, announcements, announcements. Nice. We have one okay. announcement. Um, and that is just uh, an ongoing announcement, I guess, that our next Misfit Stars anti-racist book and movie club dates have been set. Our fall schedule has been set. And we are coming up on our first discussion, which is going to be taking place on Sunday, September 12th. For those who have joined the anti-racist book and movie club, you uh, you have access to the Zoom link for that discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be discussing the film 13th by Ava DuVernay. It's a documentary examining mass incarceration in America and its ties to slavery mm-hmm. and how the 13th Amendment actually helped make that transition from slavery to our current day mass incarceration. Great. Fascinating stuff. Great job, Constitution. It's going to be a great uh, discussion. Kind of really gives a lie to this whole thing. Well, it's constitutional. Well, yeah, legalized slavery is constitutional. Like, not everything in the Constitution is good. Well, that's why there's an amendment process and we can change things. That's, like, the whole point. Anyway, mm-hmm. anyway, this is going to be a great discussion. Uh, if you want, if you are already a member of Misfit Stars and you want to join the Anti-Racist Book and Movie Club, all you got to do is message one of us, mm-hmm. uh, either me or Jamie. Uh, you can message us within the social network, the Just private social that. network. Perfect. And we'll send you an invitation. If you are not yet a member of Misfit Stars, but you're like, hey, an anti-racist book and movie club. It's so good. Sounds like a really great idea and something right. I want to be part of. Yeah. First of all, you need to go to misfitstars.com slash join. Mm-hmm. Join Misfit Stars and then let us know that you want to join the Book and Movie Club and then we'll invite you to that. So it's like a door within a door. You got to get two two doors in. You can do you it. Can, yeah, you can do it. All right, people, join up. All right. So uh, how are you feeling, Shannon? I'm, uh, I'm doing okay. Mm-hmm. I'm doing okay. Would you like to unpack that? Pretty good. Yeah. You know, I <laughs> I know this question's coming up when we do the podcast recording, and yet I feel so unprepared most of the time. Here we are. Mm. Um, I'm feeling good. Today uh, Today actually has felt pretty good. I, I felt I got a big to-do list item checked off my list last night that was that felt really unburdening uh, to do that. Um, and so today, uh, it's been kind of like moody and cloudy, and it's kind of really fun, and I, I like that kind of weather. And Me too. So that's Felt good. It was um, like 60 and windy inside our house this afternoon. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Loved it. Um, and so uh, there's there's some, you know, I have I have some back burnery, lingering worries, some family stuff that's come up this week and um and just world stuff like mm-hmm. the hurricane and the fires. The in news California. has been rough this week. Yeah, yeah. That, those 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 things are weighing on me. But overall, I'm I'm managing to feel okay in the midst of that. Uh, I think a, an important part of that has just been staying present with my emotions. You mm-hmm. know, like when I'm having a moment of feeling anxious, like identifying it, naming it, seeing if there's a need attached to it with that feeling that I can figure out how to meet myself. Mm-hmm. and figure out if there's nothing I can do about it and then do my best to let it go. 
Tools, so, people. Yeah, so that's, you know, using those tools have been helpful. And so overall, I'm okay. How about you? How are you feeling? You know, uh, two ways. So, and I'm really feeling both of these things at the same time, which is why I frame it like that. Yeah. I think that personally, I'm doing pretty well. I yeah. feel pretty cheerful. I feel focused. Like you, I have gotten a bunch of work done over this last week. I really wrapped up almost all of my loose ends. Like pretty much everything I had to do was done. Like I had to finish two records. Both of those records are now, one is 100% finished. I mean, like literally CDs are back and it's it's just done. The other one, I believe we have just finished the mixes. Maybe as of this morning, we're going to sit on them for a few more days. Awesome. And then I just got to master that, which will be really easy because we've been work- working on this record for a good long time and it doesn't need a lot of corrections. Yeah. You know? Um I feel great about all that. I've just have really like kind of, I got all the stuff I had to do this summer done slightly before the end of summer. Right. I feel really good about that. I'm like a week ahead. It's really cool. Uh, So that's like personally, like how I'm feeling about stuff that I can control. Yeah. Also, everything in the world is just a shit show Mm -hmm. this week. It's just really not great at all. Yeah, there's a lot of, yeah. It's all bad, uh, you know, and, that's just kind of out there. And that for sure is like the bucket of things that I can't control. And on one level, I do recognize that. And on the other level, like I am just super empathic and it can't not affect me or I can't not be affected by it would be a better way to put it. I know what you mean, yeah. It's just there and it's like hard to deal with and everyone is not doing super great. Uh, I definitely have picked up on a real, what feels like a real shift over this last like maybe 10 days which is that I think I, and I think also from what I'm seeing, a whole lot of other people really just feel all of a sudden like we got sucked into a really unwelcome time machine and taken back a year to August 2020. Like Regarding it, the pandemic, Like you mean? it really kind of feels like that yeah. again. Like everything just kind of worsening and closing back up and more mandates and more closures and less security about things. And yeah. a whole bunch of vaccinated people still getting infected and passing it on to others anyway. And it's just like... It feels demoralizing as hell. You know what I yeah. mean? And again, I can't control any of that. I can just control my part in it. And you and I are being super good like we have been this entire time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I feel it. I can tell a lot of other people are feeling it. It's just this thing that's out there in the ether that I think is just shared among a whole lot of yeah. us. And I pick up on it. My antennae are always out. I feel yeah. it. And that's just like, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's hard. Yeah, well, and I think what I've picked up on, and I feel it too, and I've definitely noticed other people expressing this, like Mm -hmm. reaching a bit of a moment with the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of my feelings and a lot of what I see people like expressing too is that like this was preventable. Oh, yeah. We have a vaccine in the United States that's free. Yep. That a whole big swath of the population have refused to get for some stupid ass political tribal reason. Or just personal stupidity. There's that also. Yes, but like a lot of it's motivated by like what they want to believe about the world. Oh, you're right. But also there's a whole bunch of super lefty anti-vaxxers. Well, think about Santa Monica and how they got fricking like measles out. I'm not, I didn't, I didn't say it was a right wing thing. I'm saying it was a tribal political thing. So like it fits the bill. You know what I mean? Like just, you know, like uh, there's just, so it was prevent. It's preventable. Like honestly, a year ago, I was angry at this uh, with the same kinds of, of feelings because honestly, I, I I believe that the level of outbreak that we had in this country last year 
was also preventable. Oh, entirely. If we had had lead, competent leadership actually guiding us through, you know, what the, what measures we needed to take to clamp down on this thing at the beginning, yeah. we wouldn't have seen the level of infection and spread and deaths and economic hardship as we did last year. Of course not. And so I was angry about that last year. Like, in terms of, like, individuals last year, you know... Yeah, there were a lot of people being stupid and making things worse, but like contracting COVID was not something that that you could like. It, a lot of people just weren't able to to keep themselves from getting it, no. right? Like especially people who, who work with you know public facing jobs, people obviously who work in healthcare. You know, mm-hmm. like they they had to show up for their lives, and in do, in so doing, were putting themselves at risk. There's not much you can do. You can wear a mask and like hope that other people are too. But like at last year, this time we were all very susceptible to this. Mm-hmm. This year, there's just no damn excuse Mm-mm. for individuals not to have done their part. It's funny that I'm talking about what us individuals can do because f- f- uh, foreshadowing to our conversation in part two of this podcast, we're going to be talking about this some more, but like, there is a part of this, a big part of this that is up to like individual responsibility, yeah. you know, and a lot of people have chosen to not take responsibility. Yeah. And that's why we're in this particular wave this year. And that makes me freaking mad. Totally. <laughs> like just, I, I've, I've, we were having a text conversation with a, a healthcare worker friend today. Um, uh, just, she was describing how angry she is and, and we were lamenting along with her, you know, just how we've just really lost all patience f- with people who have just decided not to get the vaccine. Yeah. Like, y'all, the, 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 the unvaccinated are filling our hospitals all over the country. People who need other emergency medical care are dying and can't get that care because ICU beds are full. Like I read the story. Like full of COVID patients. I read the story about this man outside of Houston. Uh, like he lives like minutes away from one of the biggest medical centers in the country. Yeah. And he needed like emergency gallbladder surgery or something like that. Like Routine, he went in, simple surgery. Yeah, which would have required uh, him to have a bed in an IC unit, ICU an IC unit, I guess, because the U stands for unit. Uh, It's like ATM machine. No, it's just ATM. (laughs) Exactly. Pin number. No, just a pin. Anyway, we digress. Um, (laughs) So he, he would have needed access to an ICU bed after surgery for this otherwise routine, simple surgery. But literally the emergency room doctor who, who had uh, evaluated him spent seven hours calling hospitals all over the state of Texas, in neighboring states, could not find this guy an available ICU bed. Literally couldn't even medevac him somewhere. And therefore, he died from something that should have been treatable. Like, in any other time, he would have gone to surgery, gotten an ICU bed, recovered, been fine, lived the rest of his life. He's now dead because freaking unvaccinated people are taking up ICU beds all over this country and there's not room for anybody else. And I am mad. I am really freaking mad. I'm super mad about that too. Man, imagine if there were like a new rule that if we were in a situation like that, some someone who just voluntarily because they were a dumbass didn't take the vaccine, they got booted out of their ICU bed and this gallbladder guy gets the bed. Oh, man. Sorry, I mean- man. Yeah, right. Well, you know, hey, I mean, personal responsibility. Am I right? Jeez. 
I'm mad. <laughs> I'm so mad. Well, you know, the, the I, I did read another article this week uh, regarding um, people who are being hospitalized for COVID who are unvaccinated, mm-hmm. that insurance companies have started to signal that they are no longer going... Like, at the beginning of the pandemic and through, like, the whole first year and a half or whatever... Like there was, was it mandated maybe from a federal level? I can't remember exactly how it worked, but like like insurance companies were going to absorb all of the costs yeah. for COVID treatment. That's right. Because it was, you know, if in the case of, you know, being in the hospital, you're in the hospital for like weeks, months, yeah. you know, sometimes they are in the hospital for and a really a long pandemic. time. And it's a pandemic. It's not your fault. There's no vaccine yet. Right. So in those, now there's a vaccine. But they have said they're going to stop covering um, all the costs for people who chose not to be vaccinated sure. because they could have prevented this sure. hospitalization. You know, something that doesn't get talked about nearly enough in this context is the idea that freedoms, like choices, yeah, come with consequences. Yeah. You know? Sure, you have the freedom not to take the vaccine. It doesn't mean that we, the rest of us, mm. have to then cover your ass, mm-hmm. pick up the slack for you. Mm-hmm. We do not have to do that. Right. The results should redound solely to you right. should fall solely and directly back upon your own head. Yeah, yeah, I totally feel you. Last night, I stumbled upon this Twitter uh, thread that I, that I sent to you, or did I read it to you? Um, Michael, what is the name of the guy? I will find it. Michael um, uh, Harriot. Michael Harriot. Harriot, is that how you say his name? Well, I mean, if you're pronouncing it correctly, yeah. Oh, but okay. French names tend to get bastardized in America, oh. and I've never heard it said out loud. So it, look, it could be Harriet. It probably is Harriet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew so, up down the road in Vermont, which is very near to Canada, from a family named the Jakeses. Yeah. J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. In France, it's Jacques. Yeah. But it was a Jakeses, so it's probably Harriet. Yeah. Okay. Well, he had this tremendous Twitter thread, and maybe I'll send you the link for this thread so we can put it in the show notes so yeah, people do can it. explore it more. Mm-hmm. But basically, it starts out by saying, uh, when anti-vaxxers cite their freedoms, constitutional rights, and the whitest thing of all, the founding fathers, to (laughs) rail against vaccine mandates, do they know what they're talking about? What if I told you this happens exactly every 100 years? A thread. And he goes on to to just describe a history of literal vaccine mandates made by dun-dun-da-da, our founding fathers. It's All of them. Fascinating. Oh my so, God. Here's a, I mean, the, the founding fathers who directly in their own writings mandated vaccines for certain parts of the population are Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, James Madison, and uh, George Washington. Yep. <laughs> yeah, totally. Pretty founding fathery. <laughs> Totally. Each one of them at a certain time mandated <laughs> a smallpox vaccine yep. for, I mean, for the population of Boston in one instance, that was Ben Franklin, mm-hmm. uh, and then the entire frickin' army, army. Mm-hmm. and that was George Washington. Yes, and I just, you know. So get the hell out of here with your founding father's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, and one of the things, and, and when, if you go to read this thread, I really recommend you do. It's it's informative and also it's funny. <laughs> so like both at the same time. I love um, how all these people who are like founding fathers, my freedoms. It's like they think that the founding fathers were morons. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's it's this myth. Like they're morons like me. We're going to get into this in a little bit more in the second part of today's podcast too. It's this myth of American individualism. Like it is, it's a very well-developed myth, <laughs> you know. That, yeah, you that hear has, about Washington chopping down the cherry tree all of the time. You don't hear so much about the vaccine mandate. Right, exactly. But in one of the, the pieces that Michael Harriet, Hario, whatever you say it, uh, mentions in his thread, he 
he cites, uh, like he quote, there's, there's, he's got like documentation, like quotes from these founding fathers, you know, and it's literally addressing this idea of like, look, freedom is great and all, and it, and it's, it's part of how we're founding our country, but like there's a limit to individual freedom when, when you exercising that freedom infringes on the rights of other people in the society with which you live, you know, like yeah. there's. There was a, you might say, founding principle. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> to put it in dumb person, your right to swing your fist ends where my nose begins. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So anyway, this was all in the how's Jamie feeling category. Right. And I ended up expressing a lot of feelings too. So yeah. I'm sorry if I stepped on your- No, you're doing great. Sweetie. Territory. <laughs> you're, you're just doing great. Feelings. So hey, now that we've uh, talked about all that, why don't we quick fire up the good news machine? Oh, that's a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Do you have some good news? Oh my gosh, I have the best news. What is it? Our nephew, my sister's uh, 14-year-old kid, Henry. Who just started high school. Just started, I mean like his first few days of his freshman year of high school, he made his high school's JVA soccer team. What does that mean? So that's a big deal. So the way at South Burlington High School in Vermont, the way way they do uh, their their sort of system there is that at the top is varsity, Uh obviously. And seniors play varsity? Or or just the the best players play varsity, yep. And then uh, below that, there's JVA, and below that, there's JVB. Okay. And it's kind of... uh, like there are there are there are new the way they say it on their philosophy part of their uh, team website, which okay. is so great. They have a philosophy section. <laughs> there are three teams. Uh, there are numerous seniors. Juniors will be asked to play JVA. Mm-hmm. Sophomores will be asked to play JVB. Varsity needs to form first, then they form JVA, then JVB. So okay. JVB is the everyone gets to play yeah. league. Yeah. Like they don't, they say right on here, freshmen will not be cut. So it doesn't matter how bad you are, you get to play JVB. Awesome. Right? Yes. Uh, and it's full of a lot of freshmen and, and kids who, like you're not necessarily as strong or as fast as a freshman as you might be. So three months later oh, or whatever, totally. it's right on that cusp. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So just being on that team to start with doesn't mean you're going to suck forever. Yeah. You know, uh, it just may- maybe means that you're not ready yet. Yeah. But, you know, if you're on JVA, you're playing with juniors and some seniors and you're a legit badass. And he is the very beginning of his freshman year, ah, just turned 14 and so he cool. qualified for the JVA team. It's uh, it's kind of a big deal. It is a big deal. Yeah. I go, love it. Go Wolves. <laughs> Very excited about this. Awesome. All right, how about you? What do you got? So, you know, I was thinking about my good news machine item for this week, and it's it feels like a little bit of a conflicted good news. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is this afternoon. We, you know, we all got the news alert that the last flight out of Afghanistan, the last military flight out of Afghanistan, had happened making it official that the war in Afghanistan is over after 20 years. Mm -hmm. 20 years. So like I put this in the good news machine, but even though there are so many, um, there's nothing good about war. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like there's nothing, there's nothing good to say about war. Uh, in this particular case, I know that so many people who were invested in this, War over the last two decades have lots of different feelings about it. We have a very dear friend who's a vet who uh, was pretty severely injured in Afghanistan in her service there. So I'm sure she has a lot of complicated and layered feelings about, you know, and, and lots of vets have, I'm sure, lots of complicated and layered feelings about this withdrawal. Um, 
But the fact of us being out, I think is good news. The fact of this being over, I think is good news. This is good news that should have happened, in my opinion, a few months after we first went into Afghanistan. Yeah. Like, you know, having had the opportunity over the last couple of weeks to sort of like revisit the history of the war in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. You know, we went in presumably uh, right, you know, not long after 9-11 in order to try to get Osama bin Laden, right? Like, and the Taliban had- To route the Taliban and hopefully end their support for terrorism. Yes. Um, And and we- at a certain, a certain point, a few months into that, like December of that year, I think, the Taliban like offered to help the U.S. get Osama bin Laden, like give away his location, and like essentially they they were surrendering. Yeah, and the Bush administration didn't go for it because Bush wanted to be a wartime president for his reelection. Yeah, which didn't come for a couple of years, but also like a, he had all kinds of defense contractors in his ear, like. You know, his vice president was Dick Cheney, who was like, didn't he, was he on the board previous to being vice president? Wasn't he on the board of some huge defense He ran contract? Halliburton, right? Yes, that's yeah. right. Like they had a vested interest, a literal monetary vested interest in, in the U.S. being at war and spending God amounts of money <laughs> on, on, you know, war machines. Yeah. And that's what they did for 20 years. Like they didn't, they didn't get out when they had an opportunity to get out. You know, like you can even, you can even, I can even entertain a conversation about like, is it ever appropriate to go to war? <laughs> like that, that's a conversation I am here for, yeah. you know? That said, you know, if the mission at, the, at first was to go in to get Osama bin Laden, uh, you know, weaken the Taliban so that they wouldn't be harboring terrorists there, okay, fine. That mission had an opportunity to end only mere months after we went into Afghanistan. Instead, we stayed for 20 years. And I read the wildest thing in one of the many, many, many pieces that's been out over the last couple weeks about this. Uh, A senior commander type being quoted as saying, the entire time we were there in our minds, we always felt like we were a year from leaving. (laughs) Man, man. (laughs) And the mission kept changing and morphing because it had to. And mm-hmm. and it, you forwarded me an article just yesterday about how there were like so many times that military leaders misrepresented the successes, quote unquote, successes we were having there yeah. in order to justify staying a little bit longer because there's this just absolute, like, what's the word when... Uh, uh, it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't think of the word. Well, you've got to describe it. You're on a live microphone. I know. Uh, this, this, an inappropriate relationship <laughs> between the military and military contractors, yeah. these big business. I believe what you're referring to is the military industrial complex. Yes. I, no, that's what I, not what I was thinking of, but like, and it, just this inappropriate relationship. I don't know what the word is there, but anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> But like they, 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 it's just a conflict of interest, you know, in like there's all these people who made boatloads of money. I mean, like how many billions of dollars of military equipment did we just leave 
in Afghanistan. Just now, eighty-one billion dollars worth. It's just it's just now there. But somebody, yeah, like we did people. In case you don't know what we're talking about, like the military pulled out of Afghanistan over the last month and a half in a hurry, right? And like they were able to get a ton of people out, hundred twenty thousand plus people. That's really really good. What they weren't able to get out was all their equipment. They left behind. You should just do a Google search on this <laughs> on like New York Times graph of like military equipment left behind in Afghanistan. It's really shocking. I mean, they left like hundreds of tanks, like mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of assault rifles. Mm-hmm. Like there's some stuff, like the more complicated stuff, the tanks and whatnot, that, you know, in the desert conditions needs to be maintained constantly. There's no repair. There's no qualified service technicians. <laughs> that stuff will be pretty useless pretty quickly. And that's, you know, probably that's really good. But like the guns, 120,000 assault rifles are now just in the hands of the Taliban. It's wild. Which is really wild. They'll be able to make hay with those. They can service those. And my point, though, is with all that equipment that was left there, $81 billion worth of it, you know, somebody got paid to make those things and they got super rich doing that. And they got paid with your money, listeners. Exactly. With U.S. taxpayer dollars. They took your money that you pay in taxes every single year. They bought hundreds of billions of dollars worth of like military stuff, and then they just gave it all to the Taliban. Essentially. And meanwhile, telling us that we don't have money for universal health care and universal college. and We can't pay teachers more. We can't. But we can give the Taliban <laughs> $81 billion worth of tanks yeah, and shit. Exactly. And not to mention, and we, we, we have, we, I have to mention, the cost in human lives. We were there for 20 years. The dollars, you know, was a lot of dollars, but there were so many lives lost. I mean, not and not just American lives. I mean, there were a lot of American lives lost and a lot of American lives altered forever. Even if they didn't lose their lives, there were so many people who came home with life-altering injuries that they will be with for the, for the rest of their lives. Yeah. You know, um, but there were so many deaths of um, Afghan people uh, like that just way outpaced the number of deaths and injuries that Americans faced there. So the cost of 20 years, I, I mean... In, in, a, in a, a mission that should have been over in three months, that could have been over in three months, and we stayed for 20 years and racked up all of those costs to ourselves uh, and to humanity, it's good news that it's over. Yeah. Like I, Bringing even, it back home. Even though there's like, I feel like there's this big caveat to this good news. Uh, I'm glad it's over. And, I, and I, I hope that one of the things we can take away from this experience is the next time we have some president who's war thirsty like Bush was in 2001 and Cheney, his vice president, I hope that we take this as a, that we don't forget this and we're like, hey, well, actually, maybe we don't need to go bomb the crap out of some people for two decades and get nothing out of it. You know, I wouldn't feel super optimistic about that and I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, uh, but... I was reading a fascinating piece about the polling uh, around this war over the last 20 years that it's been happening. It has had extraordinarily high levels of support in a bipartisan fashion among broad swaths of American citizenry. Totally, we, everyone's into it. it well, and we're going to do it again. They did, they, you're right. There was support for it. And I think, that, I think that maybe comes more from like people feeling like when they're asked that question, whether they're supportive of our troops. Because there's like a good feeling that goes along with that for a lot of people. Maybe. You know what I mean? But, but the questions but, that they were talking about where do you support the war in Afghanistan, not the troops. I understand, but people conflate those. I mean, yeah, maybe. We just literally talked five minutes ago about how stupid some people are. So, yeah. <laughs> but also on um, polling, the support for getting out of Afghanistan was hugely popular over the last 
number of months. True. So like I was in also like a, could be spun as a way to support our troops, right? Get them back in, out of there. Entirely Hooray. possible. But it was in like the 70% range yep. of people who supported. Anyway, I, you know, it's good news that we're out. I, I want to see a world where we're just not going to war with people uh, over uh, it's it just we we don't we don't have to live in a world where there's war. We just don't. Um, yeah, well, I mean, until there's no longer an America, which will happen probably in the next hundred years, <laughs> uh, like it's gonna keep happening like that. Jamie's really bringing the like positive spin on everything today. <laughs> we're the Roman Empire. We're the new. We're the new Roman Empire. I just need a little bit more to get through the day. Just give me a little bit of sunny side. Okay, hundred fifty years. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Anyway, that what you were looking for. The war's over. That's my good news. Hooray! Hooray! Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk about what adventures we got into over this last week. Well, we've already mentioned that I finished up all my work. That's exciting. Shannon yeah. delivered a personal song. I did, and you know, this was the second of two personal songs in a row that I wrote this summer for people who were memorializing a loved one that they had lost. Mm-hmm. With this song, and um, man, it's and, and I and I actually have another one on my docket that that fits that bill also. Yeah, right. That's that's as yet unfinished. I, I'm actually still waiting for all of the completed notes from the person I'm doing it for. So I'm not, I don't have the, all the stuff I need to start writing that one yet. Mm-hmm. But that said, like, <laughs> this has been a summer of me spending a lot of time with a lot of people's grief, including mm-hmm. my own. Mm-hmm. And I, I just need to like acknowledge that for a minute. Like, I, like spending time writing songs, memorializing other people's lost loved ones, mm-hmm. while at the same time, you know, having been in this process of grieving our friend Scott. Yeah. It's just been kind of heavy. Like it's been heavy and I have felt that. Mm-hmm. And also at the same time, I feel really grateful to have been given the opportunity to be of service to these people who are grieving, yeah. the other people. Um, because like I, I got a note back from the woman I delivered the song to last night and she told me how she was trying to listen to the song and she just couldn't get through it without bawling, yeah. you know? And she said in her email that actually she, and this is the person who, uh, the person that they're that they're memorializing actually died last fall, mm-hmm. but they're having her celebration of life this coming weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, but she said in her email, she's like, you know, I realized that I don't think I actually took the time to grieve before now. And, and listening to this song, you know, and going through this process of doing this song with me helped her in some way clearly open up those channels for yeah. herself to be able to process and grieve. Yeah. And that felt genuinely great to That's know amazing. that like I, something that I was invited to do with them and for them was something that ended up helping them in such a profound way. And that's, that was a really, it was really meaningful to me to, to hear her say that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I got similar feedback from the other family that I delivered a song to a couple of weeks ago. Um, and so even though it's heavy, like it's, it's also, it just feels like it's worthwhile, you know? Absolutely. I yeah. think that's 100% true. And people, by the way, personal songs, if you don't know what we're talking about, uh, yeah. people 
hire Shannon to write a song for a loved one, for them to give as a gift to a loved one. These last few that Shannon's been asked to do have been like more to like memorialize like someone who's passed on. Yeah. And that's definitely one way to do it. But she also does a ton of them around the holidays, around Valentine's Day and other times of the year also for more just like other personal occasions. Mm -hmm. It could be like oftentimes it's from one like one partner to another partner in a Mm -hmm. romantic relationship. Could be for a birthday or for a holiday or for an anniversary or for something like that. Or high school graduation is another real popular one. A couple like, of really fun ones that I did over the last year was one one uh, one woman gave a song to one of her best friends. Mm-hmm. I loved that. Yep. Um, and another one uh, was a family who, uh, a woman who, who had me write a song for her parents' anniversary. That one was great. It was so, so great. Yeah, but like I just love the, you know, these getting to step into a little moment in people's lives and that's, that's what these songs Shannon are walks people through like a customized interview process to get them writing paragraphs about the situation and the person it's for and then she draws the themes and oftentimes little specific lyrical fragments from the things that you wrote about your loved one. So it's really like your thoughts and your ideas in a song like custom written by Shannon for that situation. It's just this amazing thing. (laughs) She's done over 80 of them at this point. Um, It's just this really cool little part of our life that we get to be part of other people's lives in that really intimate way for a moment. Yeah. Uh, I'm mentioning this because we are, and this is foreshadowing, (gasps) but I'll let you in on the secret because podcast listeners sometimes get stuff first, right? (laughs) (laughs) And the thing, the deal is that we're going to be doing a real concerted push this year starting right after Labor Day uh, for people who want us to do these for the holidays. We have this feeling that there might be more interest than usual this year. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to give people a longer amount of time to sign up because we're probably going to cap it at about 10 Mm -hmm. because each of these can like, it's a pretty big emotional outlay that Shannon has to do (laughs) and it takes some time. And so, you know, we love them. We also don't want to all of a sudden have 20 of them and have our entire fall just be only this. So uh, we just want to let you know ahead of time, if this is something you think you want to do for a loved one in your life, sneak an email into one of us and just sort of, get the ball rolling, at least ask any questions you have uh, so you're not sort of caught behind by the deluge of people when we announce it for real next month. Good call. Glad you brought that up. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we did this week is we finished our Shit's Creek Marathon. You might have remembered if you listened to last week's episode that we were deep into Shit's Creek. We'd been told by so many people over the years, like, oh my gosh, you'd love it. And we have not been TV watchers. Like, we're just not watchers. No. The pandemic has changed that somewhat. Um, and so we've started watching a few because we need something to freaking do. Yeah. Also, I'm I mean, we're with... busy, but sometimes we need to, t- to tune out, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes you just need a good injection of Ted Lasso. So, mm. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we 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 did decide to go ahead and like binge. We've never binged a show like this before, really, have Mm-mm. we? I don't remember if we have. Mm-mm. Anyway, we, we started Shit's Creek and we finished it this past week. And I just wanted to take a moment to say how wonderful it is. Like, I, I, for those of you who have watched it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For those of you who have not yet watched the show, I cannot recommend it enough. It is so fun and smart and funny. Um, and it also has such a big heart. Mm. Like, under that layer, under that, that seemingly crusty layer of, like, of wit and sarcasm, mm-hmm. <laughs> there is such a big heart. Yeah. And... I've been thinking about the show literally every day since we stopped, since we've reached the end. Like, it's on my mind a lot. And characters are in your heart. They are, but Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about it too. This is the kind of thing that that good um, that good art can do, and I like. I really think about this show as a 
prolonged work of art. Oh, for like sure. it absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Like the stories, the characters um, made an impact. And uh, w- you know, one of the a couple of the, of the things that were that were significant to me about mm-hmm. it was first of all just the the way the the very genuine way and very believable way in which the these characters who began the story in sort of a hardened mm-hmm. state very self-involved yeah. very selfish just in a very genuine and believable way uh opened they grew and 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 just in it was just lovely the way, the way they did that, and and secondly, the way in which um, uh, queerness was addressed in this show was yeah. absolutely the best thing I've ever seen. I yeah, I just when it, we we ended up watching uh, discovering this like little documentary that they made um, as a wrap up after mm-hmm. the they, I imagine that they released this documentary after the last. Um, season aired mm-hmm. um, but it was a lot of people who were fans of the show they interviewed and, and cast members and stuff too but including inexplicably Paula Abdul I don't know why Paula Abdul was on there but great to right. get her opinion though yeah, yeah but lots of different people and one of the people they interviewed was somebody who um, who works doing some uh, gay rights work I can't remember exactly what his role was mm-hmm. but the way he described it was so great he's like you know in so you know in so many in so much media in so many me- movies and TV shows when a gay character is involved we often see their story enveloped in trauma or tragedy or controversy or like they have to go through a struggle yeah, or struggle and none of those things were present really in the Schitt's Creek no. depiction of, of the gay characters in it. They just it was, got to be normal humans living life. People. Yeah. It was wonderful and joyful and amazing. Daniel and I, uh, Levy, one of the co-creators in the, and he played one of the stars also, uh, one, of the, one of the main roles, he couched it as he wanted to build a world where there's no homophobia. A homophobia-free world. Yeah. Yep. And it's really true. Thinking yeah. back on it, like, no one, literally not one character in this entire town of mm-hmm. people that they created was homophobic. Like there were just queer characters and they just were treated just like any other person. Mm-hmm. Like, like their like sexuality the- wasn't a thing. It, was, it wasn't even like talked about or thought about. It, was, it wasn't considered by anybody but them. Right. And so it just like, it, like it really created a world that like allows the viewer to imagine a world like that. Yeah. And when we can imagine a world like that, we can make a world like that. I know. And I just, I'm, I'm so freaking inspired. It's, it was so great. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's wonderful. It's really great. Yeah. It was just neat to be in that kind of alternate reality default mode. Mm-hmm. Imagine. Imagine a world like that. It's Let's really make cool. a world like that. Let's make our lives more like that. Let's mm-hmm. just do that. Yeah. Let's do that. Uh, last thing we did this week was had a, we had our Zoom meetup. Our Misfit Stars monthly Zoom meetup. Man, it was so special. Mm-hmm. It always is special and they just keep getting better as everybody just keeps getting to know one another a little bit better each month. Yeah. It's just such a neat time. It always just really fills me up. Me too. And thank you all, all you stars who were there. It was great to see your faces. And anybody listening to this, like if you're in the Misfit Stars community, maybe you're a supporting member of what we do, but you've taken a more passive kind of role. Like maybe... You, listen to the podcast and send us money each month, you know, via the subscription. That's all amazing and great. 
we would love to have you in there. Like you don't have to be in the social network if that's too much. I know that like a whole other thing to go to, a whole other world to explore can feel hard to some people. Although it is a very wonderful world. <laughs> it's my favorite world. It turns out that I spend like 80% of my social media time in there now oh, and 20% in Facebook. I'm not even on, I'm not even 20% in Facebook. I would say it's probably like 5% Facebook, 95% Misfit Stars. Yeah, maybe so. One, that's totally how it is for me. Man, right on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a really special little world. It is. Uh, I mean, like, imagine like Facebook, but without the malevolent algorithm and all the anti-vaxxers. It's Ooh, just really great. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, you could just come to these monthly Misfit Stars Zoom meetups. Mm. You get them, if, you, if you're, you know, one of our supporters, if you're on that, you know, monthly situation with us, you get the emails that we send out to that little email list. There's a Misfit Stars only email list. Mm -hmm. And you always get that Zoom link and you could just click it and you could show up. We would love to hang out with you. Yeah. If, if, if no, for no other reason than like, we know each of you to some degree personally. Yeah. And we... Would just like to see your face. Yeah, totally selfish. That'd be good. Yeah. All right, so hey, how about we take a little break? Yeah. And when we come back, we're just going to touch briefly upon a couple of other people's related ideas that popped up this week uh, on our horizons uh, regarding individualism. Sounds great. We'll see you soon. Back in a sec. right in. So first of all, I just want to say that I mm -hmm. felt so validated by this first thing that we found. Same. Same, right? Oh my gosh. And here's why. Uh, it comes from this woman named Heather Cox Richardson. Surely her name will be familiar to some of the listeners of this podcast. If you aren't familiar with her, I'm putting a link in the show notes to the, she writes a nightly newsletter and it's to the nightly newsletter that, you know, this bit that we're going to read uh, came from. She is a history professor in college on the East Coast, but she just has been doing this newsletter for the last like year and a half where she like synthesizes current events with a historical perspective. It's she kind amazing. Of, she finds historical antecedents typically around the Civil War, pre-Civil War era to Reconstruction. Because I think she has a, I think she's specifically specializes in Reconstruction history. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many parallels all the time. The same kind of power struggles that were going on then are going on now. It's the same kind of, the same clashes. And she, in her newsletter, like, out of nowhere a few days ago leaned super heavily on this whole like individualism thing like it, talking about how it's a battle of individualism as an ideology yes. versus the opposite of that that we're seeing right now and we were like yeah cool we've been talking about this for seven weeks but yeah go on <laughs> <laughs> it was great. No, it was really super validating. validating. You're right. Yeah. And her her newsletter is called Letters from an American. And mm -hmm. if it, when you go to the link that Jamie is going to put in the show notes, mm -hmm. there's going to be an opportunity for you to subscribe to her newsletter. I cannot recommend it enough. It's you free. can subscribe for free. Mm -hmm. I actually have the paid subscription because I value this in my life so much. I value getting her words in my inbox every day mm -hmm. um, to help me make sense of what's going on now with a lens. Looking through a lens of history, yep. like she just does such a like it's a, it's such a great service that I find valuable. So I actually do subscribe at like five bucks a month to her.
her, yeah. but you can do it for free. Um, and to be super clear, I don't pay. Shannon does pay. She's taking care of that for the two of us. Mm -hmm. We get the same emails. Yeah. Shannon's just giving her money because she wants her to have her money. Exactly. But you don't have to if you are cash poor. Right. You can just hit subscribe. You can get all the exact same emails and it doesn't cost you anything. Exactly. And honestly, like when Jamie said they're daily, they she sends something out every single day. About once a week, she's like, I'm tired. I'm going to go to bed early. And she sends some beautiful photograph that her partner has taken. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and, and when I get those, I'm a little bit bummed that I don't get to read how Heather, but also I'm like, oh yeah, good for you, Heather. You need to rest. Yeah. <laughs> Do self-care, Heather. <laughs> yes. So this, like, you just read the first sentence of the of this newsletter, just to begin with. America is in a watershed moment. And oh, I'm sorry, the first two sentences. America is in a watershed moment. Since the 1980s, the country has focused on individualism. The idea that the expansion of the federal government after the Depression in the 1930s created a form of collectivism that we must destroy by cutting taxes and slashing regulation to leave individuals free to do as they wish. Yeah, we're like, oh, we've been talking about this. And mm. yeah, like that she, she, she's written quite a lot about this actually, that since the 1930s, like in the 1930s, after the Depression, that's when all these like, like the idea of the collective came to like real fruition in the United States. Like, oh my gosh, there's like some stuff that we can't handle as individuals. We need a collective effort to get people out of poverty, to keep them healthy, to keep like our 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 infrastructure going. Like there's to just- To keep corporations from forcing us to work a hundred hours a week. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And since then, as she says here, excuse me, since the 1980s, um, there has been a faction of our, of, our, of our country who's been like, screw the collectivism, let's go back to the individualism because it benefits the wealthy. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I totally interrupted you from her letter. There's, she no, goes it's on, okay. She goes on to say some other cool stuff. So Yeah, no, she does. And you're not reading the whole thing. You're reading like the beginning of her letter, right? Yes, that's yeah. true. I'm reading the part that's here in the script. Okay. Yeah. So should I continue? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So she continues. Domestically, that ideology meant dismantling government regulation, social safety networks, and public infrastructure projects. Internationally, it meant a form of cowboy diplomacy in which the U.S. usually acted on its own to rebuild nations in our image. Afghanistan, anyone? Mm -hmm. uh, that's my aside, not hers. Totally. She continues, now President Joe Biden appears to be trying to bring back a focus on the common good. For all that Republicans today insist that individualism is the heart of Americanism, in fact, the history of federal protection of the common good began in the 1860s with their own Republican ancestors, led by Abraham Lincoln, who wrote, the legitimate object of government is to do for a community of people whatever they need to have done but cannot do at all or cannot so well do for themselves in their separate and individual capacities. Can you just read that Abraham Lincoln quote one more time? I, I sure just want to like really soak it in. Abraham Lincoln, a Republican, said, <laughs> the legitimate object of government is to do for a community of people whatever they need to have done, but cannot do at all or cannot so well do for themselves in their separate and individual capacities. So stuff you can't do by yourself, the government should do for you. Abraham Lincoln, Republican. Abraham frickin' Lincoln. Come <laughs> on. And yet it has been Republicans since the 1980s who have done the opposite of that. Yeah. The now, opposite of these words yeah. in trying to destroy government's capability 
to serve the common good. Yes. They've been doing all they can to tear that down, to sow distrust in government mm -hmm. among people so that people will, you know, have this misguided idea that the government is the problem and not the, the government is not... Uh, there to help. There to help people. Yeah. yeah. And also uh, a huge Republican project since the Reagan Revolution. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking that shift that happened in the early 80s. That was the Reagan Revolution. That's when this whole new wave of modern Republicanism kind of swept over the country. And we've been dealing with this effects ever since. Yep. Uh, and one of the huge projects over the last 42 years now, 41 years, mm -hmm. has been to defund governmental entities. If you've ever wondered mm. why... The IRS fails to collect close to a trillion dollars in taxes every single year from wealthy people. <laughs> it's because Republicans have continually stripped funding, cut funding for the IRS because like Congress is who sets the budget. They appropriate the funds right. each year, yeah. right? And they have just, for, I mean, literally 41 years now, kept slashing and slashing and slashing the IRS budget. So, I mean, they need literally like tens of thousands more auditors so they can actually, in a way that has teeth and impact, go after these wealthy tax cheats mm -hmm. because there are so many wealthy people who have just amazing, you know, tax lawyers or whatever. Wealthy tax cheats have expensive tax lawyers. Yeah, turns out, <laughs> and amazing accountants. Yeah, tax, yeah, they keep them from being found out by the federal government that they haven't actually paid the taxes that they should be paying. Yeah, and they make it complicated enough that like a simplistic audit couldn't possibly get at it because your shell companies inside of shell companies overseas and mm -hmm. many jurisdictions. It's really, really complicated stuff to track down and there's just not enough auditors to do it. There are... All, like it's something like 95% of all audits that happen are on people in like the bottom quarter of I income earners. Because it's easy yeah. to, for them to re to reconcile those cases. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's low-hanging fruit yeah. and they can grab it and they may only get 10,000 bucks, you know, and if they audit someone like, you know, Jeff Bezos, who's for sure doing tax fraud, you know, <laughs> he paid zero dollars in federal income tax last year. Surely that's fraudulent in some way. I mean, that's a biggest that's a big assertion, but yeah, there are a lot of really wealthy people who just cheat on the taxes. Yeah. For sure. But if you catch somebody like that, you might claw back a few billion dollars right. for the government. Right. But no, they go after like, you know, single working mothers in Mississippi and they get, you know, eight hundred and forty eight dollars. Great man, congrats. Woo! Really yeah. good job. But like that's a concrete example of the yeah. ways in which like Republican governmental officials over the last like I mean, basically our lifetimes, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. have worked to like dismantle the structure of how government works. Like yeah. all the parts of government that do stuff that they don't approve of, they just slash the funding for. So they can't do their jobs. Right. So like- Like the EPA. Like, yeah, cutting regulations for- Chemical companies, fossil fuel companies, yeah. um, you know, cutting regulations that like save money, save corporations money by not having to abide by these regulations, but make like the environment unlivable for the humans who live nearby those plants or whatever, you know, like, yeah. like the, the, all these things, like, there's been so many, you know, cuts in regulation and in, in like, you know, healthcare and education and like, you name it, anything that the, the federal government has at one point or other had some like say and like, okay, here's what we need to do as a collective as a to benefit people. Mm -hmm. We need these rules around these things. For the last 40 years, Republicans have been chipping away at those rules, making conditions 
less good for people and better for the companies that serve in those or that that work in those spaces. Or the wealthy people who have financial interest in those spaces. Right. Charter schools being like an education-related one, a really good example there. Taking money out of public schooling, giving people vouchers to do private schools which are run by wealthy people. Do these schools have better outcomes? No, they do not. Frequently, they have worse outcomes. The data shows they have often worse outcomes. Yeah, but the important thing is money is being taken out of the public because Republicans don't fundamentally believe that public money should go back into the public. They believe that public money should go into private people's pockets. Well, the Republicans since the 1980s for sure haven't believed that. Abraham Lincoln has something else to say about it. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So right. they're not even they're not even like uh, being true to their roots at no. all. <laughs> you know? No, uh, it's an ideology of convenience. It's an ideology of greed. Here's the yes. thing. They are reverse engineering their ideology out of greed. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Yes. It's not even an ideology per se. Right. Unless you think that greed is an ideology. I would right. differ. <laughs> yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Like, if if we all believe, if we as a, as if most of us in the United States believed wholeheartedly in collectivism, we would not we would not allow this. <laughs> we would not allow our elected officials to do this to our social safety net, to our crumbling infrastructure. You know, like we wouldn't allow for these things if we if we had a belief in collectivism, if we had a belief that we are we are each one part of a collective whole. Mm-hmm. Like if that's if that was our like national ethos, this would not be an issue. We would not allow our leaders to do this to the things that serve the common good. But so and so, so in order to chip away at that collectivism, that idea of collectivism, these people who who want to increase the power and riches of the wealthy and already powerful and already wealthy, they've They've been feeding us a myth of individualism this whole time yeah. that supports their narrative. Because if we can buy, if we, if we, when we're sold that myth of individualism by these powerful entities that benefit financially from us not believing in the power of the common good, like we give over our power as, as a collective. Like when we buy into that yeah. individualism, we give up our power as a collective. That's where we have the power in a democracy. Yeah, is when is we all band together. together. And what the, the, the genius move that these uh, powerful entities have done is they have managed to not make us look at them and, right. and fight them. Right. Instead, they have made us look at one another and fight one another. They have convinced us, like we have been encouraged, you and I, over our basically our entire lifetimes. Yeah. I mean, this started when you and I, when I was you know seven and you were five, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and we have been encouraged basically over our entire lifetimes that the way to get ahead is to fight one another for resources mm-hmm. as opposed to working collaboratively. Yep. You know, like mm-hmm. that has been, that was like the distillation mm-hmm. of the, American dreams circa like 1986, Mm -hmm. this idea that there's a limited pool of resources that we need to basically step on one another to get ahead. Right. So there was a concrete example that came across my radar this week about this. Um, uh, And it was somebody pointing to an article that came out. It was actually an article that came out in May in Bloomberg. And it was actually reported other places too, but the the article that I stumbled on was in Bloomberg. And I think you're going to link to this in uh, the show notes as well. Um, And 
and, and it's around this idea that, that for the last 40 years, we also have been sold the idea that climate change and mm-hmm. like environmentalism in, in general yeah. is something that we battle via individual responsibility through personal choices and selfless sacrifice. You know, like, <laughs> like it's up to you to recycle because you got to save the planet. If yeah. you recycle, you'll save the planet. Yeah. You know, if Don't you, throw away that plastic. What do you want to do? Kill the planet? Yeah. Uh, you know, raise, you got to put your thermostat up a couple degrees. Save the planet. It's up to you. Yeah. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's right. Don't run the AC at 71 people. Run it at like 74. Do you, you want to kill the planet? Yeah, when in actuality, it's like something like 100 corporations worldwide are responsible for more than 70% of global carbon emissions. Yeah. So like- This is not a personal problem. If we all, if all of us on planet Earth individually did it all right, we would only be accounting for 30% of the solution. Yeah. <laughs> there are- a hundred companies worldwide that contribute to 70% of the problem. And so like, thing- where should we address this? 7.8 billion humans doing individual actions or regulation the fucking <laughs> vice on a hundred companies. Exactly. Come totally. on. Totally. So this article uh, from Bloomberg, it's titled, it's not just up to you to solve climate change. Yeah. Um, and the, the lead on the article says fossil fuel marketing is all about individual responsibility. A new study shows, but humans naturally think in terms of collectives. Ding, ding, ding. Of yeah. course we do. We've been exploring why we do that for the last many weeks. It's yeah. in our nature yes. to be collective beings. Yes, and literally in our DNA. Yeah, but this, the, but the ads tell us otherwise. Let me just read the first couple of paragraphs of this article. You're going to link it, and I think it's great if you know if y'all go and read the whole thing. But here's how the article starts. The eternal omnipresent dilemma between me and we is particularly acute with climate change. Its scale is simply too enormous. So why have we been caught up for decades in debates about plastic recycling and energy-efficient light bulbs when real progress can only be made via vast cooperative networks leveraging collective opportunities? Hmm. It's not an accident. Hmm. The idea that individual behavior change, even at a mass scale, is an answer to climate change was manufactured to speak to the enduring principles of rugged individualism and self-reliance that pervade U.S. culture and ideology. That's a quote, that last part, from Harvard researchers Jeffrey Supron and Naomi Oreskes, excuse me, in a new quantitative analysis of ExxonMobil Corp's public communication in the journal One Earth. It's one of the marketing lines, or rather propaganda tactics, that oil companies used that made them seem to be powerless in this, you know, whole climate change thing. Innocent pawns of consumer demand. Yeah. So, Like helpless. It's, it's the consumers who are using all the oil and plastic. We're just giving it to them. That's right. And We're it, just giving them what they want. So here, here what this study, this research shows, it shows that that whole idea that the environment... And climate change is up to us as individuals to, to solve was propaganda invented by fossil fuel companies to make us believe that it was our fault and not theirs yeah. that our planet is dying. Read that next paragraph. This next paragraph. The individual responsibility narrative was honed in tobacco industry messaging and began migrating to fossil fuels in the mid-2000s. Fascinating. 
These two uh, uh, researchers found that in their research. Uh, case in point, the ultimate metaphor of individual responsibility, the carbon footprint. Remember that, people? Uh -huh. in the, like in 2005, there was all this talk about what's your carbon footprint? Yeah. Like what's your household's carbon footprint? Yeah, you know who, entered, who, in, who invented that? It entered common parlance around the time that uh, of BP's Beyond Petroleum campaign. Remember that? <laughs> Remember when they changed their corporate colors <laughs> and now they're all green? And yellow. The, yeah, they're yeah, like yeah. they're like the sunshiny sunflower oil company now. Remember that? <laughs> totally. Between 2005 and 2007, BP was spending at least a hundred million dollars a year on marketing alone, according to one figure cited in that One Earth study. So they <sighs> they spent <laughs> hundreds of millions of dollars a year on propaganda marketing to make us believe that if we are going to solve climate change, it's just going to be up to us individuals. Not the oil companies. So no, not this them. myth of individualism sold to us by corporations who stand to benefit from us buying that lie and not, not holding them responsible for these issues that we can only solve if we work collectively and put the kind of regulations on these companies that are required to save our planet. Like imagine if we had actually had like 15 years of stringent carbon regulations. Right. Like done in a collaborative worldwide basis. Like the framework is there, the Paris Accords are there. Like other countries were on board. We led the way in dropping the ball on that. And the reason for that is precisely this. Mm -hmm. It's because the American people didn't fundamentally believe that that's what was necessary because what we believed was this propaganda yes. that if we do it ourselves, we can fix this. Right. So we don't need to hold the oil companies responsible. Right. We can fix this as individual consumers, mm -hmm. which of course is horseshit. Yep. But because we were made to believe that, now we have catastrophic climate change currently happening right now. It's no longer in the future. Oh, no. It's happening right now. We are living in the middle of it. Every it, single person hearing my voice right now is living in the middle of catastrophic climate change. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, a, a couple of examples from today, <laughs> the day we are recording this podcast, Monday, August 30th. Um, you know, I woke up to the news this morning that... All of South Lake Tahoe was being evacuated because of the massive wildfire that's been burning in that part of the state yeah. for in that part of California for weeks now. Uh, my mom has been, she lives in, the, in Folsom, California, uh, just in the foothills, kind of up from Sacramento, mm -hmm. kind of on your way from Sacramento to South Lake Tahoe. She's nowhere near the fire. Um, she's not in danger fire-wise, but she's been texting me every day for the last many days with a screenshot of the AQI, the air quality index in her area, and multiple days this week, it's been at 500. And that's only because on her phone's weather app, it tops out at 500. It does. That's, that's the top of the scale. That's true. It's more than that. That's it, just like it can't show anymore. And, and, and if you haven't paid, if, you've not, if you're not in a part of the country where you've been conditioned to pay attention to the AQI because you don't deal with forest fires, yeah. you know, or smoke there, you know, this is the AQI index is something we became very familiar with. Again, the I stands for index. Oh, excuse me. What did I say? AQI index. Oh, thank That's you. like ATM machine and pin numbers, <laughs> yeah, Shannon. We, we were conditioned to pay attention to the AQI 
last year when we had like two and a half weeks of solid dangerous air out here, yeah. you know, where we live. Um, so if you don't know what it is, air quality index. And so like the the good range, like this air, the air is healthy to breathe outside. It goes from like zero to like 50. Yeah, zero to 50 is good. 50 to 100 is okay. 100 to 150 is, you know, generally fine, but stay inside for, if you have asthma. Dangerous for sensitive groups. Yeah, right. And 150 and above is keep your ass inside. Yeah, so when I say that the scale was at like 500 for many days at my mom's house this last, I mean, it was really dangerous, like toxic air outside, yeah. really bad. So, you know, we're... There, there's 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 that news happening. The fires raging in California, um, worse than ever before, getting worse every year. I mean, and these are fueled by climate change. These are this is you know the 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 droughts that California has been the drought that they've been in. I think they were only not in drought for like a year, maybe yeah. a couple of years ago. Yeah. Technically, they weren't in drought, but like. Drought is a result of climate change, and the drought has made it so that these forests are just tinder dry and red, just like ready fuel for these flames ripping across, you know, big, huge swaths of the state and putting so many people's lives and livelihoods in danger. Um, so, you know, there's, there's that happening. Uh, the, the storm that hit Louisiana this morning or late last night, you know, I read this morning that uh, climate scientists are saying that, that climate change is directly responsible for the acceleration that this storm, uh, uh, encountered on its way to landfall in Louisiana, like the warming waters in the Gulf. The quote I read was something like, it was like a, a foot on the gas in terms of like ramping up the intensity of that storm, that warm water. Uh, without climate change, those Gulf waters wouldn't be warm. And yes, the, the Gulf would still get hurricanes, but not the number of, of them that they're getting and the intensity that they're getting one after the other, after the other, after the other. Like, we are, like Jimmy said, we're living in climate change, the, the effects of climate change right now. Like, uh, there, there are many, many other examples, but these are ones, these are just two from literally today. <laughs> and we don't need to tell you guys about this. It still feels important to lean on it because we can't look away. But the point is that we all were told to take our eye off the ball. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's true. It's this myth of individualism, this idea, this fundamentally American idea that we alone can fix this but it's as not, individuals, as humans. But it's not fundamentally American. We've been sold the idea that it is, but it's, but it's not. And it doesn't have to be the way we do things. Like, and it's not, it's not been the way that we as humans do things. Like, you know, uh, like Abraham Lincoln said, like humans are met, are, are like, we're designed to, to do things as a collective. That's, that's how we do things. That's in our nature, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, I agree with what you're saying that this should not be. Oh, it's mic bonking time, everyone. Uh, we, we should not be in a situation where it is an American characteristic to be Super individualistic. But if you just look at this you know, quote in the article, the enduring principles of rugged individualism and self-reliance that pervade U.S. culture and ideology. Oh, they absolutely right? do pervade. But they've been. But but the, this article is also saying that like 
those ideas have been pushed on us for the last 40 years. Of course. In an outsized way. Yeah. But it's not just the last 40 years also. This isn't the very, very founding of this country. There's been an element of that. That's, yeah. that's true. But yeah. but also, again, going back to our like founding fathers discussion from earlier in the podcast, like there was an understanding, even among our founding fathers, who so many people who want to like cite their individual liberties, you know, are, are saying that they're, you know, looking at the founding fathers' yeah. principles. When, when it came to vaccine mandates, <laughs> yeah. our founding fathers were like, yep, we're doing this as a whole because that's what we need to do to stay alive and to, to remain a functioning society. Because- <laughs> I, I just had this interesting idea. So you know how like so many of the type of person who would be like, I'm an individual. Yeah. You know, in the same breath would be like, I'm an American. Uh-huh. Well, which are you, man? Are you oh. a single person or are you one of 330 million Americans? Oh, that's very interesting. Which are you? Yeah, very interesting. <sighs> Maybe that will be a way in. Maybe that's a way in, yeah. We'll have to uh, send this to the propaganda people. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just some stuff to think about, you know? And and I, it's it's always... It's just, it's, it's always revealing when I learn, you know, like, like I, I feel like, you know, uh, I can't trust what the fossil fuel companies want to tell me about climate change. Like that just mm. is an inkling, but just see actual evidence of the fact that they've just been like, like on purpose in very detailed and devious ways lying to us for 40 years you know, about that particular thing, you know? like Thinking about like, the parallels with the tobacco industry. Yeah. And like some of the reforms that came out of the tobacco time, like tobacco use is way, 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 way down since 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, since mm-hmm. you and I were kids, like 20 years ago, like I was smoking, everyone was smoking. You just smoked, people smoked. <laughs> and now like it's super rare. Yeah. And it depends what community you're in. You know what I mean? Uh, but like it is so much rarer than yeah. it used to be. Yeah. And a huge part of that is that it's gotten incredibly, for a lot of people, prohibitively expensive to smoke. Like when I was, Mm. you know, like 20 years ago when I was smoking, you could get a pack of smokes for two bucks. Yeah. Maybe three sometimes depending, but oftentimes there were two for one deals. You could figure out a good way. You could get a carton usually for like, you know, 20 bucks. And the prices have gone up because of taxes or regulations or what? Uh, Yeah, exactly that. Okay. Um, But mostly taxes. Mm. I mean, taxes are a form of regulation. So yes, yes to both. And, uh, this whole idea that we need cheap gas, we got to keep gas prices cheap. Like, that's bullshit. We don't. What we should really do is we should dramatically, like, make oil way more expensive and everything is derived from oil. You know what I mean? So make it so we don't consume as much of it because simple supply and demand, market economics would dictate that if something's more expensive, you use less of it. So you make your oil really expensive. You make your gas really expensive. Make your plastics really expensive. Will that be a drag for American consumers who have been habituated for our entire lives to buy a bunch of plastic shit and then throw it right in the garbage? Yes. But if you believe in market capitalism, you also then see an opportunity for people to develop businesses that are all alternatives to those things that actually serve the planet instead of killing it. Innovating like around... electric vehicles. Innovating and, around a market problem. How quintessentially American. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, yes. We, and, but also, the government could fund research on those alternatives and stop giving tax breaks to fossil fuel companies. Hmm. You know, like, like, these are, again, choices we can make as a collective, as, you know... Uh, 
this is something that the government could do at a scale that none of us can do individually. Giving you know? tax breaks to the very companies that are killing us just is Doesn't really make any sense. Galling. Yeah. 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 So it's super interesting and maddening and also um, just making me want to find more examples of of how this idea, this myth of individualism has infected our lives. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we see, we're seeing it everywhere. And uh, I wonder what will pop up next. Can't wait to find out. Very excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, and also, frankly, you know, like we discussed on last week's episode, ways that we can, that we can individually uh, pursue healing in those areas. You know, like part of that is is becoming more aware of the messages that we've been given that are just plain false yeah. and being able to then discern, you know, as we're receiving messaging from, um, you know, in ads and in, you know, um, just in media or, you know, wherever wherever we're seeing messaging around this stuff to be able to do like actually analyze it with with more information, you know, and, and, and also you know, this idea that we do have a role to play in terms of our own internal healing in ways that we've been isolated from one another um, because we've bought into this myth of individualism that we're we're out here on our own. You know, that affects us emotionally and psychologically. And I think that when we tackle, like we discussed last week, when we tackle those things within ourselves, we give ourselves a better fighting chance at at creating something better collectively. Yeah, it's super interesting. The damage is societal, the healing's personal. Yeah, that's so interesting. Mm. Very, very nice way to sum it up, Jamie. Hey, I thanks, appreciate Jen. that. Hey, so uh, that's it for this week. It is. People, we have a little bit of a PSA right now, which What's is that? that Shannon and I are taking a little personal time. We're starting this personal time on August 31st, and it's going to last a few days. Uh, and we may or may not have an episode for you next week. We're going to play it by ear. Part of self-care, for me anyway, is feeling like I have the option to just stop for a second. Yeah. I may not exercise it. We may not exercise it. We might be raring to go next Tuesday (laughs) to record next Wednesday's episode. We don't know. I just want to plant that idea in your brains. Uh, We're taking a little bit of time to recuperate, a little bit of restorative time for ourselves. Yeah. As I'm sure you know, we have been burning the candle at every single end it has for the last many, many, many months. It's a multifaceted it's a, it's a weird Sputnik lamp-shaped Many candle. wicks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a multi-wick candle situation. It's very complicated. You wouldn't understand it, but suffice to say, very tired. We need some restoration. So we may or may not be back next week is what we're saying. We'll see. And we will see <laughs> pins and needles, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but until whenever it is that we come back, mm-hmm. uh, I have two things for you. Oh, what's uh, that? One is... Uh, please become a member of Misfit Stars and support what we're doing. Misfitstars.com slash support. Thank you. The second thing I have for you is to just tell you to take care of yourselves Mm. and be good to each other. Do that. We love you guys. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.